0: You're actually showing the customer how valuable you are as their partner. If you can prove that value to your customer, they will want to keep going on that dream trajectory with you. If you're creating that value, it's a very special place to be in.
1: My name's Darren Smith and you listen to Digital Surfing. Our guest this week is Nikki Piper, Head of Business Operations here at Hubble. With a background in graphic and web design, she started her career in a print-based business, playing a dual role in design and production management before making the leap into digital. This move saw her transition into a role as a producer working for a creative digital agency, Hello Computer, where she stayed for six years and eventually moved into the role of executive business director and building out a new business division focused on content production. The division started out as a small business in Cape Town before expanding to Joburg, London, Paris, Toronto, Argentina, and India. After Hello Computer, Nikki decided to move client side, working for Virgin Active as their head of marketing operations during COVID, one of the most challenging times for businesses before joining Hubble almost two years ago. Outside of work, Nikki loves running in the mountains, despite her fear of heights. And in today's show, we really, really focus on innovation and change. It's a really interesting one. Let's welcome Nikki. Nikki, it's awesome having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Darren. It's really great to be here.
1: Cool. All right. So I know that you run. I know that you're fairly sporty. I've got a theory. The people that I see in business that do incredibly well all do something sporty. Do you, have you seen that too, first of all? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. What do you think that link is between, Hey, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to do something sporty and then I'm successful or am I successful? And then I want to invest in myself. What's the link between these two things?
0: I think it has a lot to do with the amount of pressure that you put yourself in as you evolve in your career. And the only way that your brain can keep up with that is if you're keeping the engine on the same level. So, you know, look, taking care of your body, eating well and doing sports. I think there's there's something about, for me, going out for a run and clearing my mind. I, I deal with the world's problems when I go out for a run. I solve everything. And I think that then energizes me to be able to come back and, and deal with the challenges that you face in a day-to-day in your job.
1: I, mean, I couldn't agree more. I feel exactly the same way. Actually, I was speaking to somebody the other day and they were saying to me that they were asking me if I meditate, which I have tried, but I don't. I said, no, I've, I started running and they said, oh, that's the equivalent of meditating. And I absolutely agree with you. I will go for a run and without intending, I will come back with a solution to a problem that's been in the back of my head for ages.
0: Yep, absolutely. And if you're you're keeping your body healthy and you're not sitting all day, I mean we spend a lot of time sitting in front of a screen, but if you're you're not sitting all day and you're actually moving, it makes a huge difference to your mindset and your outlook on life.
1: Yeah, I mean like you get such conflicting stories. I mean, like you get like the Elon Musks that say like sleep in the factory, don't stop working, and you can see that there has been success there, but I just don't think it's sustainable.
0: Exactly. I think that you can be successful, but it's, it's short-lived. It's only for a period of time. Eventually, things are going to start to break.
1: All right. So staying on the sporting kind of track, you were telling me about wanting to be in the swimming team. Tell me that story.
0: Yeah. So I guess when I was a kid, there was something, I guess it was a lesson that I learned very really early on. But when I was a kid, I saw the swimming squad and I kind of looked up to them. They always looked like superheroes. They were these amazing kids and it wasn't about being cool it was just they looked amazing there were these swimmers and they looked like superheroes and I loved swimming like I absolutely loved being in the water but I had a fear that I wasn't them I couldn't do the super fancy strokes and I wasn't fast and I wasn't sporty at all when I was a kid so for me it was there was something about like I really really wanted to be on the swimming squad but I was super fearful that maybe what if I wasn't good enough and eventually I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to put my hand up and give it a go. Put my hand up and say, I want to be on the swimming squad. Can I join? Can I sign up? And uh, I did. I think it was a lesson that I learned and that I probably carry with me still today. In that if there's something that you really want, you, you kind of have to put your hand up for it. You have to create that opportunity, regardless of whether or not you think, you're capable of doing it, whether or not you think you're good enough, whether you have the skills, because a lot of people who go into things actually don't necessarily know what they're doing from the get-go.
1: So there are people that want things and they'll tell you that they want things. I'm not hearing that you're saying that. You actually have to put an effort into the thing that you want. You can't just be like, hey, I want that. I want to be the fastest runner. I want that car or i want that particular job or i want to earn that much money i'm going to tell my boss my manager my colleague my friend that i want it and then i'm going to sit here and wait for it
0: it doesn't work like that the only way to get those things one day i decided i wanted to be a runner if i just sat there and said i want to be a runner nobody's going to give me a running badge and say congratulations you're a runner I had to go out there and actually start running, start being that thing. And I think the same can be applied in your career. You know, if I want to move up a level in in seniority, or I want an increase, or I want something, you really have to start living it and becoming that. And then that natural progression just happens. You have to become it. And that's something you have to do for yourself. Nobody hands you those things on a platter. And you have to go out and create those opportunities and become that in your own way.
1: So are you saying fake it till you make it?
0: Yes, 100%. Fake it till you make it. That's what you did, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I like, I couldn't agree more. I like yeah, I think you you've got to put yourself up there. You got to behave like the person that you want to be or become because I think for me as being in leadership roles, people often want promotions and salary increases and that type of thing. But if they're just asking for it, it's still an extremely high risk for you as a leader just to give that to them. But if they start behaving in a way that you can see they are capable, it is such an easy decision to make. You can be like, oh, yes, I can see you can do that. Let me put you in that role. But what I see increasingly is people that say to me, I want this role. And you try and give them a piece of work or something for them to prove themselves. And they don't want to do it unless they get the title or the increase.
0: Even if you put that opportunity in front of them and they take it on, it's almost like you would be putting yourself in a better position if you faked it. And then your manager or whoever it is that you're talking to, whatever the situation is, would almost identify you for that thing that you want without you having to ask so they would be able to see, okay, I can see that person X is going to be a really good manager of people, a really good leader in our business. And then by nature, I'm automatically can see that that's, you know, that's the role that I, if I'm looking for a leader, I'm going to pick person X. You know, they've already identified themselves as being capable of that without having to ask.
1: Let's move on now to the theme of, I think, today's talk, which is all around change and innovation, right? Right. In the spaces we operate in, in digital, in CRM, in technology, the pace of change is ridiculously high. There's change like daily, probably faster than daily. How do you keep up with everything that's going on in this world?
0: Well, first and foremost, I don't think I'd be able to do it if weren't for my running, <laughs> as okay. I mentioned earlier, but it is very challenging. You know, in the digital landscape, change is constant. And you have to just keep your eye on it, see the change, learn what it's about and adapt. And you just keep recycling that. You have to constantly change, learn, adapt, change, learn, adapt. It just, it never ends. So it's exhausting sometimes. It is really challenging, but it's also really exciting. The rate at which change is constant, so is your growth. And I think that's huge in career development.
1: That learn part, right? The change and adapting, that happens after you've learned something. I'm interested in that learn part. Are you reading tech websites and that type of thing or is it just by pure osmosis of being in the industry or are you listening to podcasts or are you attending conferences like where are you picking up these things that are changing?
0: I think it's a combination of all of the above. So It's seeing what's happening in your immediate environment. So new challenges that may come up that may be related to some sort of change that's happening um, and learning from that because you automatically have some sort of a problem statement there, which you then need to figure out, like, how do I resolve that? And that can be from what you're seeing on social media platforms, listening to podcasts, reading, talking to other people, learning from each other, knowledge share sessions in amongst your colleagues, your teams, so it really is just constantly being aware of your environment in digital and learning as much as you possibly can from accepting that you never know everything. I'm always the one in the room who's happy to ask the dumb question and to put my hand up and say, please dumb that down for me because I don't actually understand it. But then I learn that way. If I don't put my hand up and ask that question, I would never know.
1: I think way too many people are scared to ask questions now. I know that you in particular are a highly, highly structured person. One of the things that you told me is you've been planning things since you've been nine years old. So this learning, do you take quite a structured approach? Like every day it's like 6 a.m. I'm going to read these things or is it this type of thing less structured?
0: I would say less structured. I think as organized and structured as I am in my day to day career, When I'm offline in my personal time, I'm actually the least structured person on the planet, other than doing things like in the morning, I have my routine, and going for a run. Things like, I think taking the opportunity to learn when it's not part of a a routine or a structure, like where it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and read for half an hour. It becomes part of your job and it's another task and it's less enjoyable. So for me, it's listening to a podcast while I'm cooking or while I'm driving somewhere or you know, really just sort of trying to embed that learning into other things that you do and enjoy in the garden, any other environment or any other area in your day-to-day where it becomes mm-hmm. fun.
1: I totally support that. And you know, actually one of the things that I do is I'll often walk and listen to a podcast, but I have a attention span problem. So I will often hear something on a podcast, and actually that will trigger a thought. And I'll come back 10 minutes later, the podcast has been carried on. There's been a noise in my ear, but I actually have no idea what they've been talking about. But in that time, solve the problem, come up with something new. I absolutely love it, even though it could be described as a negative personality trait.
0: I'm Exactly the same. And sometimes it's triggered a thought where you start thinking about something else and you almost need to stop and write something down or take notes just so that you don't lose it. But other times, if you've wondered, then maybe the timing is not right. You know, I do often find if I'm trying to listen to a podcast while doing something else, sometimes it actually just isn't the right time for it and switch it off. Or maybe it's a really bad podcast.
1: Yeah, I've got one lined up at the moment uh, that my buddy Charles sent. And it's a three and a half hour podcast. So I'm definitely going to need to find the time to do that. All right. So sticking to like on this innovation theme, like you've worked on one incredible video content project tell us about that
0: yeah sure. so it was a number of years ago probably about eight years ago we were tasked to, at the time i was working for a, a video production company and we were tasked with creating a unique series of videos so 1440 videos now why 1440 because that's how many minutes there are in a day so 24 hours times 60 is 1440 i will never forget that fact so the, this client wanted us to create a unique video for every single minute in a day. So full 24 hours worth of content. And that sounds super exciting and it would be great if you had all the time in the world, but we had three months. So in this unique project that we were working on, something just to point out for each of those videos, they each had to have a unique script, a unique story. So one video could be about sharks. Another video could be about a lunch sandwich. You know, They were all had to be completely unique, unrelated. We had to bolster up the team. At the time, I only had a team of about eight employees, so video editors, animators. And we had to bolster up the team to 32, hire a bunch of copywriters, really just getting more video editors. and But we also, over and above, hiring more people because you know you can hire all the people in the world and burn money. But we also really had to consider how we could approach this project in an innovative way. So what we did was... For each video, we actually created like building blocks for it. So each video was made off of the same sort of Lego blocks. So, you know, if you were going to be simplistic, you would say a start, a middle and an end. But there were a few other building blocks in between there. And we actually coded a a unique piece of software that would identify that each video had a building block and where that building block started and ended. Take the script that was written for that video and then go and find the content relevant to that script. So if we had a video about sharks, it would know that in that first building block, it knew that it needed to go and find content related to sharks, whether that's imagery or video content or, you know, whatever that is just to find video about uh, like content about sharks. And then each building block was a similar thing. So, I mean, we did it. It was a hugely stressful project because it was something that was entirely new that had never been done before. But yeah, it was really exciting to be able to shout about it afterwards. We learned so much in that project. And I think if we had to do it all over again, we could probably do it in a week.
1: So, I mean, like, there's a classic example of change because it sounds like through your innovation, you potentially have changed an industry or changed the way that people do things like this. And you said you shouted about it. I mean, like, is that you instilling then change in the, in the industry?
0: Absolutely. It put a flag in the business at the time to say, well, there's a team that can produce this type of content, you know, and in that sort of speed and in an innovative way. And it opened up a lot more opportunities for us. But to your point, we created change in our environments. From before, we were a team of eight who did things a certain way. We had to change and adapt to doing things a different way because suddenly now we were known for being able to do it in this new way. So, you just learn from experience, I guess. The more and more that you do it in the new way, you get better at it.
1: Okay. So, I mean, this is all in the space of like kind of artificial intelligence, machine learning, that type of thing. Like, now we work in the field of customer experience, and and there's a lot of predictions that artificial intelligence, machine learning is going to have an impact on customer experience. What type of impact can we imagine we could potentially see? Or what can you see maybe?
0: It's, it's an interesting space. I think that there is a lot that, that AI can do to enhance response time or resolution time to sort of CX issues that come up. I also think that the role of AI in personalization is can become a lot more prominent. Yeah, I think there's a human element there that has to be maintained because there's something really special about a really well thought out customer journey partnered with really great CX. I mean, it's, it's almost a, a form of art in my opinion. I can't tell you how frustrated I get when that isn't present. I'm often shouting at home like, oh, your customer journey is broken. This experience is frustrating me. I actually get mocked about it often. I think there's a huge role that AI can play in this space, which is exciting. How far away it is, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I don't think it's as far away as we think it might be.
1: Your role at the moment—you're in operations. You're in like kind of in the planning of some of this innovative stuff in the world of customer experience, stuff that's never been done before, breaking boundaries, doing innovative things. But on the operation side, you need to make sure that there's plans in place, that there's deadlines in place, that they've been stuck to, that there's customers buy and they expect a certain budget. But now. You're doing things that have never been done before. Your teams are delivering things that have never been done before. How do you manage expectations and boundaries of budget and timeline when you actually don't know what you're going to be even delivering in the end?
0: It's a good question. It's a fine art. I haven't 100% honed it, but it's an ongoing learning experience. So we have the, in our team, we have the tools in place to be able to keep track of how we're doing on time, how we're doing on budget, Really just the tools also to communicate to our clients, make sure that they know what to expect when managing their expectations. I think if you've got that, those fundamentals in place, all of those other new, exciting, different things that are happening, you've just constantly got that base to remind you of where you need to be in terms of things like time, budget, client expectations. So it's the two partnered together. You can't entirely let go of every basic fundamental rule that you've ever worked with Um, you kind of have to have that still, but also focus on the shiny new thing.
1: And how do you rein the customer in? Because like, as you start innovating, the customer starts seeing the vision. Is it is it a case of telling them stop dreaming? Uh, you don't have the time or the budget for that, or is it a case of of letting them do what they want and and then charging them in the end and missing a deadline? Like, is that acceptable? How do you how do you control them?
0: In that sort of scenario, you're actually showing the customer how valuable you are as their partner. If you can prove that value to your customer, they will want to keep going on that dream trajectory with you and they will want to keep paying for more and more, obviously within budget and and, where they can. But if you're creating that value, it's a very special place to be in. You almost have to create an environment where... Your customers feel like it's a privilege to be able to work with you because you are that good, that value-based element. We we were talking about this the other day with, you know, a a phone, something as simple as an iPhone. If you think about what it costs to actually make an iPhone, the cost is really low, but what you pay for it is insane but the value that you get out of it, the value that a device like Apple or the Android phone, Samsung, et cetera, the value that they've created of that device is what makes you pay for it.
1: Very good point. Last question around research, right? So the Digital Surfing Podcast is all about the ups and downs of uh, our guests' journeys. But you were telling me about something that you had wished you had researched better before you jumped into it. Now, in this world, that is changing super fast, and there's a lot of innovation happening. Some of that innovation is that doesn't necessarily guarantee a positive outcome. Customers and employees and vendors and suppliers and partners, they all have to research before they make a decision. Like so you've had a negative experience. What do you do differently now in terms of researching? To prevent that from happening again
0: I think my negative experience was pure zero research whatsoever, and so <laughs> for me, I learned because I got burnt so it's it was uh, learning very quickly that you need to do your research so the same goes for the company that you're going to go and work for if you you know you decide you want to move careers or a company that you will decide you want to work with as you that you bring on as a partner you need to do your research beforehand and uh, it's something that we do quite well at the moment, especially when you know we're talking about potential suppliers that we want to work with or tools that we want to you know, bring into the business. The research part of it is so important because you need to minimize that, that risk of potentially being burned.
1: I suppose that brings us all the way back to customer experience in the digital world because if you have a negative experience, you're going to highly likely put that somewhere on the internet. And uh, whether that's an employee or a customer, So research is somewhat easier, provided you don't get somebody that's writing negative reviews because they're just a negative person overall. But it's somewhat easier because you can actually go and research and see what other people have said. And if you don't design those customer journeys, and if you don't respond to those negative comments, you're kind of in a downward spiral, right?
0: Absolutely. And it's, Very easy. It's more common for people to write a review or have something to say when it's about something negative, about something that they're unhappy with. Very rarely do you see people shouting about, you know, a really good experience that they've had. And I've taken that on over many, many years that if I do have a really good experience with a company, I'll talk about it. As much as I'm quick to complain or write on whatever platform or give a bad review, I'll be equally as quick to, to talk about the really good experiences because I've realized the value that you'll you know you'll be creating for other people looking for making use of a similar service.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it is so important to have mechanisms in place to encourage those positive reviews because as the old saying goes, no news is good news, right? So if no customers are complaining, things are going well. But How do you get those customers or those employees to share those positive experiences, which they get an email that says, please write us a review. And they go like, well, I don't have time right now. Or, you know, why? It's like it was a fine experience, but they don't know what might have gone on behind the scenes to make that experience fine.
0: Yeah, it's make it as easy as possible for that person to be able to leave a good review. You just really have to make it as simple as possible.
1: Uh, and this is one of my pain points at the moment is these review sites, the way that they make money, is through traffic they sell advertising so none of them have apis that are available so you can't direct your customer to write one review and then you distribute it across the review sites because none of the review sites want to open that up because that would reduce the amount of traffic that comes to their website and they would sell less advertising as a result it absolutely drives me crazy
0: very very poor performance absolutely it's the easier that you can make it for your customer
1: it's logical yeah well nikki it's been great chatting to you on digital surfing we have both got amazing green plants behind us for those of you that are watching us live uh, with white backgrounds it looks like uh, zoom backgrounds behind us but uh yeah we're actually we're
0: actually in the same room just on opposite (laughs) sides of the room well that would
1: be incredible (laughs) Um, but yeah i know it was amazing having you on the show thank you so much for joining us today
0: thanks darren